Good morning and welcome to Calvary Chapel. Today we're in the book of Titus. Titus chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10. I've titled it, The Character of a Healthy Church. So let's open in prayer. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity to stand before you with my brothers and sisters and to open up the word. And we pray, Lord, that you'd open up our heart, our minds, that we would see you and hear from you, because, Lord, that's our desire. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to begin with a question. How can we live as the church in such a way to maximize our impact upon those around us? Let me show you in 1 Timothy 5, verses 1 through 2. It says, Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father, to younger men as brothers, and older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters in all purity. See, Paul addresses this question that is as pertinent today as it was then. In Paul's days, the instructions to to Titus, he provided directions on how to relate to the church and how the church is to relate to the world. Well, let's read our text. It's verses 1 through 10 in Titus chapter 2. But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Older men are to be temperate and dignified and sensible and sound in faith in love and perseverance. Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips or enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible and pure workers at home, kind and being subject to their own husbands so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible In all things, show yourself as an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine, dignified and sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that your opponent will be put to shame, having nothing to say about us. Urge the bondservants to be subject to their own masters in everything, to be well-pleasing and not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so they will adorn the doctrine of our Savior in every respect." This is a, is a type of responsibility that's been handed over to the, the elders of the church. And that's important to understand. Elders are those that are mature, that have been set apart, called by God, the, the minister to the body of Christ. They are the spiritual leaders. They're not like the deacons that are serving and doing the physical thing, but they're praying for you, encouraging you. They're able to teach and open the word and counsel with the word of God. And as he speaks, he's speaking in parody. First, to themselves. And then to those that they've been entrusted. Entrusted, that is, the flock of God, where we're sheep as far as the Scripture shows us. Ultimately, this responsibility belongs to the entire church. Each one of us are responsible for a brother or sister to disciple, to encourage them, to come alongside them when they've fallen, when they've fallen into sin or snare of sin, to lovingly bring them back to the Lord. Well, it begins in verse 1. Notice with me, it's speaking to the older men, but as for you, speak the things that are fitting for sound doctrine. Now the men, older men, were men that were over 40 years old. They were considered to be older. But it's also uh, overlapping those that would be the elders in the church, the overseers of the church. And notice he said, uses the word in verse 1, speak. Speak is also in contrast to the speech, the conduct. Again, if you remember, the Cretan false teachers that were found in Titus 1, verses 10 through 11. Notice the emphasis is placed upon sound, pure doctrine through the Scripture. 
sound doctrine is that which is pure, it's, it's healthy, it's, it's life-giving doctrine. When you know the word, when you know the truth, it's the truth that will set you free. But notice again the character of his words. Speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. Again, it's sound speech that cannot be condemned, found again in verses 1 and 8. And we get our word hygiene that carries from here this idea, as I mentioned, healthy and well and whole and uncorrupt. Sound doctrine simply means the teachings of God's word. It's wholesome and healthy and teaching of of God's word. So Titus, the, the words are to be to nourish the believer, to be in contrast to the teaching of the false teachers that was corrupt, it was diseased, it was polluted, and left them empty. In fact, let me read Matthew 22 and 29. It says, But Jesus answered and said to them, You're mistaken, and not understanding the Scriptures nor the power of God. See, this is the first thing, is people aren't rightly dividing the word of truth. No, no, they're just reading or hearing somebody, and they never become Bereans and test the Scripture to see if it's so. So there are many that they don't understand the Scripture. When you have been born again, God has given you his spirit that indwells you, and it begins to give you illumination and understanding, and he gives you this teachable spirit. Now, you can quench that, or you can learn to be a Berean, to test and prove all things. In fact, in John seven seventeen, it says this, If anyone's willing to do my will, he will know the teaching, whether it is from God or whether I speak from myself. See, the believer has that discernment to recognize something's wrong with this picture or this is of God. I've heard people, I turn on the TV and and I hear something and I go, that's not what the Bible says, that's not of God. And I quickly turn it off. Because if I don't, I'll I'll be sinning because I'll be condemning and I'm going to allow God to, to deal with those people. What I need is the pure word of God. So it's, it's important that we have this Christian character and this behavior, and it's all based upon sound doctrine. Now, people don't like that word doctrine. Again, doctrine simply means the teaching. In the context we're talking about, it's the whole counsel of God's Word about being godly. It's focused upon God, being Christ-like. See, he's called us, brought us out of this world, set us apart, but again, to be conformed to the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. This is why Paul's exhortation to Titus is urgent. It was very urgent because of the false teachers. And in fact, this message is as powerful today as it was then. It's as urgent today as it was then because the false teachers are spreading. And how is that going to edify and build up the body? How is that going to help you be conformed to the image and likeness of Jesus Christ? See, it's urgent today because we are moving the church, that is, toward apostasy. Apostasy means that people know what the truth is, but they leave it. It's a a falling away. And we see that in the church. Leaving sound biblical doctrine or sound biblical teaching. That's why it's urgent today. In fact, there are people looking today for a quick fix, something just to satisfy them, encourage them. Certainly, you can find encouragement in the Word of God. But for the believer, we can have a peace that passeth all understanding. We know what lies in our future. 
We have gone through the scripture time and time again, and we find there are scriptures that encourage us. And in the Bible's clear that we're to comfort others with the comfort we receive. So we bring them the very word of God that will nourish them, encourage them, and even exhort them at times. Well, the urgency today is for not just the pastor, but it's for every believer. Because we have brothers and sisters in the faith, and, and we have family members And we need to share the true scripture, the truth of God's word. It needs to be healthy. And if they don't have that healthy word, they will miss what God has for them. See, the destiny of God's people is really on stake in the church now. If people do not hear the sound word of God, how will they know what God's calling them to do? How will they know who God is? Because the scripture reveals the character, the nature of God. These are the things that we are to be conformed to, that image and likeness. Let me read from Titus chapter 1, verse 9. Holding fast that faithful word which is in accordance with teaching, so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. Now, we're not talking about fighting with somebody, but if someone shares something that's not biblical, we can go to them and say, hey, you know what? I, I understand what you said. What is the context of that passage? Because this is where the first mistake people make is it, they leave the context or they take something out of context, one verse, and they make it say anything they want it to say. But really, we need to know what is the context of that passage? See, when we understand the context, then we can hold fast to the faithful word of God and the teaching which focuses upon godly character, that of the the older men, the older women, the younger women, the younger men, and and the bond slaves we're going to see in our context. But Paul's instructions to the Titus were clear. The behavior of the believers must line up with what they believe. In fact, I understand when I see people what they believe because their actions will show one thing, that they don't believe in the Word of God or they don't believe in the inspiration of the Word of God. They don't believe they need to walk in godliness. And really, red flags go up, wondering are they really safe because the Word of God is clear from beginning to end that we are being conformed to that image and likeness of God. Now, the sound doctrine applies to all age groups, and in all, whether it be women or men, it doesn't matter whether it's children or adults, uh, to every generation and every culture, the, the calling is the same, the command is the same. It's a need for sound, healthy doctrine that will nourish you and it will nourish me. Well, when we look at our text, there's six traits that we're going to look at here for the older men. And, and when I'm talking about older men, I'm talking about those who are mature, And I love being around those men who have walked with the Lord not just 10 years, 20 years, but 30 years and 40 years and even 50 years, I know some. And you've seen them. The life has changed. The life is rich. They're full of wisdom. They're full of love. They're full of grace for those that are still struggling to grow in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Titus 1.14 is a contrast, again, to the teaching of the false teachers. Let me read. Not paying attention to Jewish myths and commandments of men who turn away from the truth. See, this is what the false teachers were. Again, they were myths, Jewish myths. They were paying attention. They were listening to it. They were being drawn away from the very word of life. But it was not just the Jewish myths. 
as I mentioned, it's the commandments of men, their traditions. And notice the end of that verse, it says, and they turn away from the truth. See, when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. The question is, do you want to be free? It was years ago, I was teaching from the book of John, and I came to a passage where there was a man laying by the pool. He was laying there for 38 years. And there was this tradition that the first one in the pool, when an angel came and turned the water, there's no proof of that. This is mysticism. And the first one in was healed. And Jesus come to the man, and, and he said, do you want to be whole? Do you want to be complete? And the man said, there's no one to lift me in when that time comes. And I thought it was a good question. Jesus said to him, do you want to be whole? And in this rare occasion, I believe that God was wanting me to speak this to someone else. And I went to them, and I shared the passage with them, explained what it said, and I asked them, do you want to be whole? And pray that I would want to be whole, they said. Sometimes our identity is not in Christ, but it's in the world. Or maybe how people treat us. We, we identify with the world instead of Christ. They're looking to man to, to find favor with. And man is fickle. One day he loves you, the next day he hates you. But God, when you come to God, he sets his love upon you. It is an everlasting love. And he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. Well, these older men, again, I want to call your attention to in verse 2, it says older men are to be temperate, to be sober, to exercise self-control, to, to be moderate. You know, it's the opposite of overindulgence. It's referring to eating or drinking or recreation, anything, anything that would replace being with God and God-like. Notice with me as I read Titus 2, verses 12 and 13, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly or soberly, righteously, godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. So it's important to understand that older men are to be temperate, self-controlled, moderate in their behavior, or sober. But the next thing that we see in this verse in verse 2, is it there to be dignified? Dignified. These older men are to be grave or serious or honorable, worthy, reverent, or noble. That's important to understand. It has to do with the, the seriousness of purpose of life, that, that we're be serious, that God has given us a purpose and a place and time to move forward. Well, that's the opposite of flippant, shallow. As people go through life, they have no purpose. They have no rhyme. They have no reason. They're uncommitted, uncommitted in, in relationships. They're uncommitted to anything in this life. Well, these older men are to be strong in purpose and behavior, moving forward to inspire reverence and even awe. But when people see our lives, they should praise God and say, there must be a God. I love what God is doing in that person's life. It's also speaking of the fact that the men aren't to act like children. But that doesn't mean you can't play with the children. It doesn't mean you can't get on the floor with the children and look them eye to eye. 
as adults, we have a purpose. God has called us. Simply, men are to be dignified, grave, and serious, and honorable. This is the older men we're talking about. But also look in verse 2, we see again the word sensible. It also means to be grave or sober-minded, self-controlled, disciplined. And it also means to be able to curb, uh, again, those desires, those fleshly desires, those sensual desires. And that's important to understand. And older men who really know the Lord are not to waste time or to waste their life away. And I look at my life before I became a believer and I wasted so many years on foolishness, on the world. And now that I've been born again, I want to take advantage of time. I want to finish that race well. I want to go where places I was never gone before, but all because of Christ. And this is a desire that he puts in the older man, the mature man that we're talking about. And they know they so so many people around them. Oh, they're children and men and women. And there's people that are destitute and poor and hurting and dying and uh, hungering and poor housing and loneliness and emptiness and sin. And, and they're moved in order to respond. Sometimes it's to go and pray with them. Sometimes it's to bring things with them. and Sometimes it's to help them stand up and do what God has called them to do. Galatians 5.22 and 23 says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, and against such things there is no law. You know, think of this verse for a second. It says the fruit of the Spirit is love. That's singular. Love, this is what it looks like, joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness. All these things describe what love looks like. And that's what the man, the mature, the older man, again, the man who is sensible, he makes use of his time. He's wise in his time. He sees someone in need. He goes and ministers to him. Well, the next thing we see in verse 2, notice with me, it's sound and faith. Older men must be sound or healthy in faith, full of uh, love and, and patience and endurance and steadfast and even fortitude. His years should be his strength of his faith, strengthen him so he's this, this pillar of faith in every congregation, wherever they are, or on the mission field. They're, they're the ones that you look to, the ones that you want to follow. They're the Pauls and, and the others are the Timothys, linking up and being encouraged. The faith is considered broadly when it talks about it, and it's never merely a, a scent, but as some people believe in God, just as the demons believe in God, but it's that belief that rest in a heart that fills the heart that motivates the heart to move forward to trust in god to to reach out to different people luther put it this way very interesting i like what he said he said put it this way in rather a wedding ring pointing to the mutual commitment and union between christ and the believer now for a believer we're, we're sealed with the holy spirit let me show you in ephesians 1 13 in him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. And then in Ephesians 4.30, it says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed until that day of redemption. So Luther picks up this, is, is we're sealed like a wedding ring. And it's, we're sealed that we're committed to him, and he's committed to us when he's given us his Holy Spirit that indwells us guides us, strengthens us, works in us. But it also should speak of the 
the mutual commitment. We have a commitment. We've received that ring. We have this union with Christ, and we're living for Christ and no longer for ourselves. In fact, notice what 1 John 5, 4 and 5 says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Again, as believers, you and I are overcomers. And we overcome this world by our faith that rests in a faithful God to keep us. And that's why we need to understand the whole Scripture. When it talks about the faith, it's talking about the whole Scripture of God. Everything we know, in fact, in 1 Timothy 1.5, notice what it says, but the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. See, the love of God that's been poured in your heart motivates you to live a life that's differently and this should be seen in the older men. But notice again, not only to be sound in faith, but in love. Jeremiah 31.3, I love this because it says, The Lord, and that Lord there refers to the covenant God, appeared to him as far as saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love, therefore I have drawn you with loving kindness. And that's true, first for Israel and its primary emphasis, but it's very true the nature of God. He set his love upon you. He draws you with cords of loving kindness to himself. In Romans 5, 5, it says, And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts and through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. So here's this gift, this wedding ring. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And then in 1 Thessalonians 1, 3, it says, Constantly bearing in mind that work of faith, labor of love, steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of God our Father. That's important to understand. There's this work of faith. It's not just that we know it in our mind. We can explain it and, and talk about it and dwell upon it. But faith moves us to act, into action. It's without faith it's impossible to please God. And he who come to him must believe he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So there's this work of faith, but a labor of love. You know, to love someone, it really cost you and me something because it means we have to give ourselves. And if the love of God has been poured in you, you're giving yourself completely along with the Spirit of God who will lead you to minister to these people, to love them and reach out. But also in verse 2, we see another thought. And in perseverance, the older men were to endure and stand firm, persevere. It means to patiently Endure. In the Bible, usually used in the sense of an active sense. Perseverance is overcoming difficulties. It's facing the pressures and trials that call for steadfastness and a commitment to doing right, maintaining that godly love. Next, we're going to look at the older women. The question is, how should they live? And that's what Paul addresses in verse 3. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior. Now, he uses that word likewise in verse in 3 and stresses that aged women should have the same moral fiber that is of the older men. They're to be reverent. They're devout. They're different and set apart in purity and behavior and thought from the way the world functions. In Second Peter 3.11, notice what it says. It says, since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you be in holy conduct 
in godliness. So you see that character all through the scripture. So when we know that this world is going to be destroyed one day, we should be aware that he is coming soon. How, how should we live this life? It's, it's reaching out to those around us. It's so important because we can do it on the phone. We can do it on mail. We can do it on Facebook because they need to hear the word of God. Well, again, older women are, play this influential role in a, a Christian community. and They must teach by good example as well as words. Notice what it says also there that they're not to be malicious gossips or enslaved to much wine and teaching what's good. See, there were two vices that were common among those older women. It was slander. It was gossip. It was drunkenness. It was a common practice, as we saw earlier in the Scripture, of the Christian woman. The Christian woman is to, to resist these actions, to avoid this type of conduct, and they're to be a teacher of good things, first in action and then secondly in word. Well, I want to call your attention to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. A woman must be quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. But I do not want a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. See, after identifying the negative behaviors of these women, uh, who are to be spiritually mature women, these are things that they're to avoid, but Paul identifies these pursuits, these positive pursuits for the, for the women. Paul exhorts them to encourage and to teach the, the younger women. And what are they to teach? Well, again, they're not to hoard knowledge, but they're to share the things that God has taught them, share from their own experience how God has dealt with them, even discipline them to the younger women, to teach them how to, to love their husbands, how to love their children. The fathers would nurture the, the younger men. The women would nurture the younger women. And Paul's exhorting them in these same things, not to hoard this knowledge and these experiences, what God's done, but these younger women need that advice. When I first got married, I didn't know how to be a good husband. I didn't know what it really meant. I wasn't a believer at that time. And, and when I became a believer and I began to read the Scripture, boy, my eyes opened up. And the same for my, my own wife. Look with me in verse 4, though so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands and love their children. See, the responsibilities of younger women uh, first are outwardly oriented. Uh, to love a husband and the children. Uh, in that day, there were formal marriages, arranged marriages. Uh, a woman who truly, deeply loved her husband would stand out as a representative in the, in the culture, and the, and the gospel was looked at and questioned. The only way a, a young married couple could become united and bound together as they had to have the, the same kind of life. The desire was by loving each other. And therefore, the young woman is to, to love her husband, not, not selfless or unselfishly, but giving and sacrificial love with a quiet and peaceable love, with love of will as, as well as from the heart, to love of a commitment and not just affection, but just a commitment to living with them and, and doing everything they can to help the husband be everything that he should be. And the husband is to do the same thing. Now these two words it, it's used here is for philo and it actually stresses affection and care, tenderness and warmth and feelings. A love that cares deeply for them 
I like what Oliver Green stated in this verse. It says, this verse seems unnecessary, yet it's very important. Most animals will fight and die to protect their young, but some men and women are so depraved that they lose all respect and love for their own flesh and blood. Their children, they abuse them sadly at times. The aged saints are to teach the younger women how to love their children. And any precious mother with a baby in her home has a full-time job 24 hours a day, seven days a week. No other person will ever love your child the way that you can love that child as a true mother. No other person can train or discipline or disciple like a true mother. No person can place, be replaced as a, a mother. Therefore, mothers should love their children above fame and fortune and beauty and houses and, and social prestige. Children should come first, the heart of a mother, and she should forsake all except for her husband to give him love and time and attention to her children. The best friend of any child will ever have on the face of the earth is a, a godly, consecrated mother who loves them. Well, in verse 5, look with me again. What are they to do to, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, and being subject to their own husbands? I like to refer to 1 Corinthians 11 and verses 11-12. However, the Lord, there's neither woman independent of man nor man independent of woman. For a woman originates from man, and also a man has his birth through the woman, and all things originate from God. 1 Corinthians 11, 11 says this, However, in the Lord, neither is woman independent from man, nor man independent of woman. For as the, the woman originates from man, so also man has his birth through a woman, and all things originate from God. Now that word that's used there again is, is the word submit. It's, it's the S word that so often sets men and women on the edge. But what does it mean? It really means to arrange under an order. It doesn't mean a woman's better or a man's better. It's just the godly order that God has arranged. And when we function the way God has shown, there is that perfect relationship that God's intended. And if you have a hard time submitting to your wife or a hard time submitting to your husband, that really speaks of your relationship with God himself. Well, again, notice here the reason so that the word of God will not be dishonored. See, we can misrepresent God so easy by just doing things our way. That's what happened in the book of Judges. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. That's why we have the Scripture. It's powerful. It cuts as far as it needs to cut, to change, to transform. And it's important to understand that we never want to dishonor God nor misrepresent Him. Look at verse 6. We see the young men. Likewise, young men are to be sensible. They're to be reverent, holy, set apart. They're to be godlike in so many ways. See, Paul's instructing Titus himself because he's a younger man. Younger men were those that were under 40 and under. And it's important to understand. So the exhortation is to be sensible. Again, sober-minded and temperate and controlled, disciplined, restrained, curbing those emotions and passions and desires. It means to have a mind that is sound and focused upon what is pure and clean thoughts and meaningful things. Stop and think. It means to have a mind that is sound, focused upon what's pure and clean thoughts 
and meaningful things. I don't know. I imagine you're much like me. But I've had thoughts that enter my mind. Things that maybe when I was younger, I, I don't want to remember. I, I, places I went, I, I, I should have never gone. But he's not talking about those things that may bombard you, but he's talking about those things meditating on it. When you, when you see a woman, or when you see a man, or you're, you're lusting with your eyes, lusting your flesh, that we're to deal with this. We're to, in a sense, in our hearts, fall down on our knees and look to God for that guidance, for that, that wisdom that's so important. Again, the bodies of young men, they're becoming more and more sexually alive as they grow up, the young guys. And I know the passions, and you know the passions as a guy. The traction that God has instilled, it's normal, it's human, it's natural, and God's instilled that in our hearts that we'd be attracted to that other sex. But yet we're supposed to control these emotions. It makes it very important toward the younger men, but even older men still have these same strongholds in their life. Well, the second thing I want to call your attention to there is these young men are discovering themselves. They're searching and finding their place in society. There's a decision to, to move out on their own, to have their own place. And how am I going to function? And how am I going to, to live? What am I going to do? What do I want my life to look like? And then there's that decision to marriage, to marry someone. All these things are, are coming so quickly. And, of course, there's the decision. What kind of job am I going to do? What am I going to do the rest of my life? And these things are to, to be balanced. And the only way these things could ever be balanced is being in that Word of God. And that's where the younger men are nurtured by the older men. Well, the third thing I want to call your uh, point to is the young men are full of vision and dreams and energy. But, you know, they oftentimes lack experience, reckless, inconsiderate, unfeeling. And I think that's true of my life when I was younger. But God now coming in my life and being in the Word has brought a balance to my life. That's what the Word of God does. It, it brings us to a place of balance, and that balance is in Christ. Look with me in verse 7. In all things, show yourself to be example of good deeds with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Well, see, all Christians are to, to be teachers. We're all teachers in this sense that, that when we go out in this world, the world is watching. When they see you come into this building, and they recognize that you're professing to be a believer, but how do you live when you go out there? This is extremely important. What does your life reflect? Does it reflect Christ? Is there a difference in the world? Or is it just like the world? Everything we do reflects or should reflect integrity and seriousness of life. We, we know what God has done for us. We know that one day we're going to go and be with Him and that we have a purpose in this life and it's to, to go and make disciples. Let me share with you Titus 2, again 12 and 13. Again, it instructs us in denying ungodliness and worldly desires to live sensibly, righteously in this godly, in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. You know, we need to fix our eyes upon the author and finisher of faith. When you're struggling, we, we need to look at Jesus. We need to go to Him in prayer. We need to turn worship on. 
We need to call a brother or a sister, whoever. And while this is to young men, it, it applies to all. We all have these struggles. But it's putting our eyes upon the author and finisher of faith, knowing that he'll never leave us or forsake us, and he will keep us until that day. Well, in verse 9, it goes on, and it talks about bond slaves. And we've talked about bond slaves before. Those are ones that become indebted to somebody. And they would go to the post and they would have an awe run through their ear, and then they would put a ring upon their ear, and they, and they would say, my master's so good, even though I can be set free, I don't want to leave him. And the Bible likens to you and me when we're born again. We recognize that we're bond slaves of Christ Jesus. We're given our life to him. We have no longer rights. We have a master that will provide everything that you need. So we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, knowing that he will add all things. I'd like to reflect upon 1 Timothy chapter 6. It says, All who are under the yoke as slaves are to regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and our doctrine will not be spoken against. And those who have believers as their masters must not be disrespectful to them because they're brethren, but must serve them all the more. Because those who partake of the benefit are believers and beloved, teach and preach these principles. Isn't that what we're doing? This was back again in First Timothy, but we're back in that subject again in Titus. Why? Because it's a common thing that we each need to know. And it's often not taught in the church. It's taught, well, you need to do this, and if you want to be a good worker, you do this. But it's not about being those things. If you simply know the word and you're living a godly life, you will be the best worker wherever you're at. It's all about godly character. Look with me in verse 10. But showing all good faith so they will adorn the doctrine of God and our Savior in every respect. I like what William Barclay says. Make a point that every Christian workman needs to note. It may well be that a man who takes his Christianity to his work with him will run into trouble, but if he sticks to it, he will end by winning the respect of all men. In fact, here's another illustration I want to share that kind of supports that. It's E.F. Brown tells of the thing which happened in India. A Christian servant in India once was sent by his master with a verbal message which he knew not to be true. He refused to deliver it. Though his master was very angry at the time, he respected the servant more afterwards, and he knew that he could always trust him in all of his own masters. The question is for you and me, can we be trusted by our master, our Lord? It begins by getting in the word, spending time sitting at his feet, and allowing his word to work in our lives and chip away those things that would hinder us from misrepresenting him. Oh, it's for the older men, it's for the older women, the younger women, the young men, and the bond slaves, which are really servants. That's you and me, workers in this community. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for all that you've done, all that you've allowed, that you, you're the one that really sustains us and keeps us. There's nothing in this life that happens by accident. There's nothing that, that really even surprises you. But Lord, you've allowed it that we would be driven into your arms to trust in you and rest in you. And, and that's our desire. So Lord, today I pray as we leave this place, you will help us to walk as Jesus walked. And all God's people said, Amen.